0: The Belgian Grand Prix got off to a frantic opening lap as both Lewis Hamilton and Fernando Alonso were left wondering what could have been. Max Verstappen left us asking ourselves, is this man even human? I don't know at this point. And how long will it be until we get bored of Ferrari's strategic blunders? All this and more on Unlapped. Anytime he's involved in an incident or a collision, I'm always like, oh my, of course it was... Let me see the replay. It wasn't his fault.
1: I'm not sure
2: if you put Leclerc in the same car as Russell, he'd beat Russell. He's just found this setup that makes it work, and it is just a joy to watch.
1: V heist Mutter von Nicky
2: Lauda,
0: Mama Lauda, Mama Lauda. Welcome to Unlapped, and ESPN F1 show. I'm Katie George. He's Nate Saunders, and he's Lawrence Edmondson. And we're here to break down the race weekend at Spa and what was a brilliant performance by Max Verstappen. It's great to see both, as promised. I have your all's picks and predictions uh, prior to Spa, and I'd like to go over them. Lawrence projected <laughs> that Lewis Hamilton was going to finish first. Uh, that's a want, want, want. Charles yeah. Leclerc second in P two, yeah. and George Russell in P three. Do you do you want to jump in here, Lawrence, before we get to Nate's selections?
2: Well, I can't really defend that, other than to say that it would have been very exciting if it happened, wouldn't it? I <laughs> yes, mean, it would have been a brilliant race. And I think <laughs> I said I didn't underplay how good Max would be. I just thought that he would have some sort of problem, and they did have to change his engine. But really, I've no excuse. I should know better. Max Verstappen at Spa. The Red Bull as dominant as it is in a straight line, I really probably should have called that.
0: I agree; it would have made for a very entertaining race had your predictions actually come to fruition. Nate, on the other hand, stuck with Max. He had Max winning. I did. He had Lewis coming in P <laughs> two, so a little off Whoops. there, and Charles also on the podium, which certainly did not happen as we know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'm glad I think I think I said when I made it that I was gonna do the boring pick and pick Max and it does seem like the easy pick now. So maybe going forward we have to pick like obviously Max is gonna win. However, who who <laughs> might who might who might win if Max doesn't win? Like maybe that's gonna be the easiest thing going forward because um yeah, as we'll get on to, that was just ominous, wasn't it? And I didn't even I didn't know when I made that prediction, I didn't even know who's gonna start fourteenth. But you know, that was with a regular weekend I predicted that. So yeah, the fact he still did was pretty nuts.
0: So when you found out that obviously the power unit penalty was going to put him at P14, what was your thought process? Was there any question that he wouldn't be able to hunt his way down all the way up to the starting point of of the grid?
2: Well, when we first heard it, it was during practice. And we thought, oh, well, you know, this could make for a really exciting race because not only was it max, there were seven drivers in total with uh, some kind of penalty. And we thought, oh, this is going to be great. Mixed up grid. Away we go. But then we got to qualifying and Max, (laughs) with one attempt in Q3, not even the usual two, just one attempt, went out there 0.7 seconds faster than Carlos Sainz, who was doing everything he could with a car set up to be on pole position. Meanwhile, Max obviously had his car set up for the race because when he got to the race, he demolished the field. So, yeah, we were hopeful that we would get a thriller of a race, you know, with Max potentially winning it from 14th on the grid. But when we saw the qualifying pace, the penny kind of dropped, you know, this was going to be a one-man show, and that's what it turned out to be.
0: Yeah, it truly did. Gosh, it was unbelievable watching that from start to finish. Just a masterclass. It was brilliant. Think of all of the buzzwords that you want. It was a brilliant performance by him, and Red Bull overall, Remember, if you're watching on YouTube, like this video, leave us a comment on what you want to see more of. And don't forget to subscribe to ESPN for more F1 content. And if you're listening, hit us with a five-star review wherever you get your podcast so more people can find us. Okay, before we just jump into all the details of the Belgian Grand Prix, let's hit some news first. As both of you confessed your love for spa, I don't know if uh, we should strap in and foresee a long term future with Spa, but we at least know that we'll be back next season uh racing at Spa. So what did you guys make of the one year contract news, Nate?
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, encouraging. Like we we were pretty we, we weren't sure what to make of it, were we, when we spoke last week, it did seem like it might be the last race. It's good news, but I think there's still a massive question mark. It's great that Spa's gonna be on next year, but you're right, that one year deal, if you look at everything else Formula One's doing around every other race, you know, Bahrain's getting a 15 year deal. I think Qatar and Saudi both have 10 years. So this is very much a one-year deal, we believe, because the South Africa race at Kailami is not ready yet. So as good as it is for fans of Spa for next year, long-term, it's really difficult to see where it goes. So hopefully they can find some space on it. But I think we touched on it last week, didn't we, that f ones basically running out of three weeks to put these, to put some of these races. So uh, good news, but I'm still very skeptical long-term. But it's a good thing because we all get to go back there one time next year. Um, and hopefully by then, you know, some common sense has prevailed and you know, they can talk about saving spark Cause I think that in the lead up to a lot of these races, there's a lot of, you know, people say, oh, this race isn't going to be here. And then you get to it or you get to the week of it. And it seems like that's when F1 takes action on trying to keep it or not. So it's good that it's still around because it means it's still in the conversation. It doesn't just drop off the calendar and kind of out of sight, out of mind. I think that's going to be a very good thing long-term. So yeah, hopefully I'd love it to stay on for as long as it can, but we'll see. One year is good enough for now. And then we'll go from there.
0: Lawrence, what do you think would need to happen for them to enter into a long-term agreement after this one-year deal?
2: Um, I think there'd have to be fewer options elsewhere. So South Africa, I think there's still some optimism that even though it's not going to happen next year, it could happen in future years. And really, as we talked about before, F1 is up against the limit, this 24-race limit, which is part of the regulations, essentially. is what they've agreed with the teams. They can't go beyond that. So something would have to change. And I don't know, I, I feel like if there's enough pressure from everyone – that you know these these tracks should remain there, then that might just do it. Uh, certainly, if it comes from the fans, because ultimately these decisions, you know, the, the fans are the future of the sport. They need to be watching it to be able to get money out of the back of it. But of course, these circuits are offering huge amounts of money as well. So it's a it's a tightrope everyone's working uh, walking. But they've got Spa for another year. That's a start. I feel kind of bad because we really hyped up Spa. And if anybody watching it for the first time, like, <laughs> what, what, why are they talk about how good this race is? Because Max went and dominated. But obviously, if the cars are a little bit more evenly matched and you know, we don't have a driver on the exceptional form that Max is on, you can get great racing there. And above all else, you can get overtaken. We saw that. So hopefully it will stay. But yeah, really, it needs um, there to be space on the calendar. And ideally, it needs Spa to be able to come up with a financial package that is enough for f1 to want it to want it to be on and anyone who anyone who watched f1 started watching f1 last year
1: hasn't just had this race they've had three laps last year in the rain so trust us Spar is better than the last two years have have made out it's much much better than that
0: you've heard it here first uh there's also some drama off-grid uh per usual uh with the sport there was a lot of excitement last week when porsche finally made its announcement with its trademark that it was entering Formula One. And now, Lawrence, it kind of looks like Red Bull has gotten cold feet and might be pulling out of the deal. Is that a fair assessment at this point?
2: Yeah, there's certainly some discussion within Red Bull over which way to go in the future. Um, The plan, as we know, because it was filed uh, in the Moroccan antitrust legislation kind of area where where we managed to get a hold of what they were planning, was that Porsche would come in by 50% of Red Bull Technologies, which owns the Red Bull F1 team, and then they would come in and they would partner with Red Bull, so you'd have a Red Bull Porsche F1 team, you'd have these engines which are going to be built up Milton Keynes at the Red Bull factory, they would be branded Porsche, and then uh, you would have this kind of combination, these two great brands working together. I think there's still within certain parts of Red Bull a lot of enthusiasm for that, but there's another side to it as well, is that this Red Bull race team, one of the reasons it's so good one of the reasons it's so competitive is because they have real kind of uh, strength in decision making right at the top and if you bring in Porsche you're going to dilute that and this is the concern is that if they can't quite get the voting mechanisms working you know of who gets the final say how much say does Porsche get how much say does Red Bull get can someone like Christian Horner who's a team principal and Helmut Marko who's been a long-term Red Bull advisor to Dietrich Matschitz, the owner of Red Bull, if those people can't make the decisions they need to make to turn this into a team that continues to uh, compete at the front, then you know maybe that's not what the team needs. So there's definitely some discussion within, and then there's talk of maybe Honda wants to stay on. Of course, we mm-hmm. were expecting, well, we saw Honda pull out of Formula 1. They're still building the engines for Red Bull until 2025. But now you know, there's some talk in Japan again because of the success they've seen with Red Bull, of course, winning a championship last year well on their way to winning a championship this year, maybe Honda want to actually take a bit, a bit, a bit of that back and use it. So it's it's really teetering on an edge and it seems like some people in Red Bull want one thing, some people want another. Of course, this question was asked to Christian Horner and he said that from 2026, they will use Red Bull powertrain engines. So he mm-hmm. confirmed that they will be built uh, in that plant that is currently being kind of developed at Red Bull's Milton Keynes factory. But he couldn't say at this point what brand would be on them? Will it be a Porsche brand? Will it be a Honda brand? And he really kind of took a step back from that. And so at no point have Red Bull or Porsche really confirmed this, but we've had enough little hints, uh, hints, sorry. Uh, l- l- like you said, with that finally trademark, you know, going there. Um, so there's been little bits here and there. And of course, news this, uh, weekend just gone. The Audi is coming in another open secret if you like and form more, we knew audi were going to come in at some point as a as a power unit manufacturer but they're doing it very differently they're setting up their own power unit uh factory in germany and of course to do that and to get enough time to put everything in place they needed to get that rolling now so they've done that whereas the red bull situation slightly different because porsche could still come in at a later date put their name on the red bull car on the red bull engines and participate that way but it's a really interesting moment because porsche you know their brand really does fit with F1 in many ways. Of course, we think mm-hmm. of them as sports cars, we think about performance, but also they're really going for sustainable fuel. They've just built a sustainable fuel factory in Chile. Uh, you know, Uh, They're really going down this road, which F1 is also keen to go down uh, from 2026 onwards. So there's some synergies there. It all seems to make sense, but something at the very last minute has stopped it being announced. And so no doubt we'll find out in the coming months exactly what that is, but there is a few signs that there's a few cold feet Uh, you know, from either side, and they just can't quite get this deal finalized and over the line.
0: And so what exactly does Audi's deal actually entail when they're going to enter in 2026, Nate?
2: So, yeah,
1: that's one thing that we're we're not 100% sure of. We expected, so when Lawrence and I heard about this deal, we said, oh, okay, well, it's going to be announced with a tie-up to a team. We thought it was going to be Alfa Romeo. Uh, We didn't get that. We just basically had Audi is going to enter, and they're still working on that. You know, that, that team tie up on the side. So it seems like they're going to buy. So, Alfa Romeo, obviously, the, the team itself is called Sal, but that's what it raced us mm-hmm. for many years. So, as far as we know, that's the plan and that's where they're going to come in. But it was interesting that Audi announced without that part of the deal there. I think F1 was keen to to get Audi's commitment on board and say, look, we've got Audi coming in. So, it's a huge news story for F1. It's a really, really positive story. So, the longer they waited, the longer and longer they waited, you know, there's it, it just creates more doubt. So, we're not too sure, but I it, everything I've heard and I think everything that Lawrence has heard as well is that Alfa Romeos and Slash Sauber is going to be where they go in. Um, okay. And it makes sense It makes sense to go in there as well. Um, You know, obviously up until now, it looked like Porsche were going in on the Red Bull side. So that's always been an easy mm-hmm. way in. Michael Andretti, American team owner, tried to buy Sauber last year, was unsuccessful. I think, you know, maybe Sauber knew that, you know, there was the Audi interest there. I'm not sure, but that's been a you know a team or an entity that has been looking maybe not actively looking to sell but has been the subject of quite a lot of takeover rumors over the past few years so it definitely is the it's kind of the most sensible place to to look for for them
0: is honda just fickle i feel like if you entered into f1 fandom and you watched drive to survive It's very apparent. You're like, can you just make up your, are you in this or are you not? Because I feel like they're invested and then sometimes they're like, no, 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 actually we want out. And then, oh no, but we want to be associated so you can continue to use our powertrain. Like what is the deal with Honda at this point?
2: This is the story of Honda in Formula One for a very long time. (laughs) You know, going back to the 80s, of course they powered Ayrton Senna and Alan Prost to world championships with McLaren. Then they pulled out and then they came back and they had their own team through the late 2000s, then there was a financial crash and they pulled out and then they came back with <laughs> McLaren. It was all a bit embarrassing because they came into a very hard set of regulations to try and crack mm-hmm. and they didn't manage it for several years. And then eventually they got there and, um, with Red Bull. And of course, now they have pulled out this year officially, but they're kind of still in. And, um, it's really, it's really interesting because the way Honda perceive f1 is it's always an r&d exercise so it's not just about winning it's also about what can we learn from developing an engine to formula one's set of regulations and put that into our road cars now at the very top of honda they've decided that actually their road cars going forward are not really going to be petrol driven cars and of course we know formula one cars whether it's sustainable fuel or not will be petrol driven for the foreseeable future so Honda said, no, look, we're going to put everything into electric, maybe a bit of hydrogen. Right. And so that's where they wanted all of their R&D to go. So to have this F1 R&D project on the side just wouldn't have fitted in the whole, you know, uh, the whole plan, the, the wider plan from the top of Honda. So that's why they pulled out. But now, you know. Maybe it would work. And of course, Audi, uh, Audi are also a company that wants to go electric, uh, in the future and, you know, really okay. pushing into electric technology. But they're saying, look, there's this hybrid element of the F1 engines from 2026. It's going to create 50% of the power to the rear wheels. So 500 brake horsepower. You know, if you can create a hybrid system that does 500 brake horsepower, you can also create electric cars with that kind of power. So there is an argument there. And I think Honda's just weighing it up and, uh, We'll get a decision at some point, and um, it would be great to keep them because the more of those manufacturers you have in, the- in F1, the better it tends to be. I think the, the, goal, the key to success in Formula 1, it seems to be, is to see
1: where Honda are and make sure you're aligned with that team when they pull out. Because twice now, in the 2000s, we had Braun. Lawrence mentioned the Honda team. They pulled out at the end of 2008. That team became the Braun GP team, which is now the Mercedes team. They won the championship in 2009. Now they did do it with a Mercedes engine, so it wasn't a fully Honda operation, but it was a car built by Honda, and it was an unbelievable car that year. And Ross Brawn kind of knew the potential of that car, and I've always found it fascinating that, that happened. And then when they announced we're pulling out with Red Bull, Red Bull obviously win the drivers' championship this year. You know mm-hmm. they're, they're on the verge of winning both. So it has been they've, they've they've both pulled out both times. They've pulled the rug out from their F1 operation just when it's been there just when you're like, you guys could dominate Formula 1 for a while now if you stayed in. Um, And Mercedes arguably came in, you know, thanks to Honda pulling out, there was that great opportunity for them to buy the Braun team. So uh, it's really funny how it's worked out. And I love the Honda brand, but they just seem to be like wrong place, right time or right (laughs) place, wrong time, just depending on which one you want to look at it. But yeah, either unlucky or poorly managed. I don't know what it is, but just something just doesn't always add up for them. It's crazy.
0: And I'd also like to know, have Americans been mispronouncing Porsche for an eternity, an entirety?
1: I've never been sure. Honestly, I I never knew. So growing up I thought, is it Porsche? Is it Porsche? So obviously like growing up I watched the Friends episode where Jerry has the the Porsche and he's calling it Porsche. But I and I always was like I'm not quite sure if I'm in on the joke here if if it's the right one. So I've always said Porsche. But definitely Porsche. Definitely Porsche. I've always said Porsche. In your English. So Exactly, that's the voice of God. So you know that that is that is
0: my time around F1, which has been brief. uh, Has I've only heard it pronounced Porsche, and so I'm Mm. like, I've been you know in the corner like miss you know calculating everything, like going back to every conversation that I've ever had about a Porsche, which is not frequent by the way. And I'm like, (laughs) have I mispronounced this always? (laughs) Okay, good to know.
1: I think that's a sign that F1's embracing America. I guess it's it's going. It's like, is it Porsche? Is it Porsche? We don't know. It's adaptable. um... Yeah, it's a bit like when Alpine joined and everyone's like, how do you actually say this?
0: Yeah, (laughs) you know, for the first year or two. Speaking of Alpine, great segue there, Nate. Completely
1: Uh, intentional. uh, Intentional,
0: yes. Okay, so we've got the FIA hearing between Alpine McLaren over the contract dispute of Oscar Piastri started uh, Monday. Okay, so it could be several days uh, till we hear any news. Full disclosure, this is a Monday afternoon in the States right now, a Monday evening over in Europe for you guys as we're recording this. So, where do we stand? Um, and, and is Alpine rightful in the fact that they had a contract with Piastri?
1: I'd love to be a fly on the wall in this. It was funny. I, mm. I, I tweeted out a story on this earlier. And about, I would say about 50% of the comments were like, why aren't the FIA streaming this? Why aren't they? you know? And I was like, do you realize this would be a really boring thing to watch, I think, because they're going over the minutia of a, of a contract. But it shows you how, how big the interest is in it. Um, yeah, so at, at, at the time of recording, we don't know. Of course, when people are listening to this, they might, they might know more than we do. Um, but the, the fascinating thing is talking to people in Formula One for about two weeks over the summer break, everybody said, I'm, I'm convinced McLaren has the, you know, the deal is ironclad here. But since the Belgian Grand Prix week has happened, I think Alpine has been, able to talk to a few more people and there's some real doubt now, you know, I think I would still say I would bet on McLaren over Alpine getting the deal based on, you know, what people are saying and what people who kind of have knowledge of what's been signed are saying, but you never know, you know, a lot of people, there. obviously, there's obviously a lot of onus on McLaren to talk up their chances, a lot of onus on Alpine to talk up their chances as well. What's really fascinating for me, I, I think the, the, Easily the most fascinating storyline from this would be if Alpine's contract is upheld because the... Then what happens? Not, well, that Exactly, because I'm not the sure The relationship Alpine, looks damaged. Yeah, I mean, you had Otmar Safnauer said, he they said, you know, what do you wish had happened here? Uh, and he said, I wish Oscar Piastri just had a bit more integrity. You know, he said he told Oscar when Oscar was sat in the simulator of their Alpine uh, F1 car, you know, obviously, you know, part of the, I guess, part of the program that they laid on for him to get him ready for Formula One. And apparently, Oscar said, "Oh, thanks very much." I would have been suspicious if a guy had just said, "Thanks very much," if I'd just told him we're going to give you your F one debut. But that's that's me, you know. Otmar obviously was very trusting, and you know, Piastri left, and obviously in the corridor was probably then, you know, either constructing that great tweet he sent out or he had it sent to him. But you know, clearly there, it, it, I think the, this is where potential versus uh, character is now going to be key. If Alpine's is held up, do they want Piastri because of how good he is? Or can they not look past the fact that he's you know, really humiliated them? I think it's really made Alpine look really bad. And if they don't want him, what happens then? They're in a great position, I think, then. They can actually then turn to McLaren and say, Well, if you, we'll still give you Piastri. You've got to pay us for him. Uh, there's been a theory this week um, about them maybe going to AlphaTauri and saying, well, how about we trade Piastri with Pierre Gasly? Now, I think Pierre Gasly, deep down, probably wants to get out of the Red Bull program from... I've spoken to one person pretty high up at red bull who was basically like if we get an offer for gasly we're going to sell him because okay. they just don't they just don't see him going back to the main team so it would put alpine in a really strong position i think they'll still be in that strong position if, if piastri goes to mclaren but it won't be quite as strong because they won't be able to use use piastri as a pawn but i think they'll still be in the running for kind of ricardo or for gasly um by the sounds of it so really fascinating and um I quite like, I think that there should be one contract dispute every year in Formula One because I think it's great. It's just fantastic to not know who's who's going where uh, and the fact that, you know, they then have to turn up at the team that they've just spurned. I think it's great. The last few weeks have been have been awesome. So um, that's where we stand at the moment. Of course, okay. um, this is likely to be settled by the time of the Zandvoort race, um, but it could, it could take a while. I, I was told it could take 48 hours, it could take 72 hours, and that was okay. kind of Monday, midday Europe time. So we're talking into Wednesday, maybe into Thursday the teams will want it sorted. You know, they don't want that dragging on because also they have drivers ringing them up saying, you know, is that do you have a seat for us next year or not? So I think all parties want to get it sorted as quickly as possible, but it's not quite as simple as, as that.
0: If anything, it means the two of you are going to get glorious quotes again at Zandvoort uh, as you get there, because we should hopefully have a decision as to where Oscar Piastri will likely drive next season. Okay, let's take a look at how things played out in Spa this past weekend. your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better.
0: Just in case you missed it, the race finished as follows. Max Verstappen took the checkered flag. Teammate Checo Perez finished P2. Carlos Sainz in the Ferrari rounded out the top three. George Russell and Fernando Alonso were fourth and fifth. Charles Leclerc finished P6 after a five-second penalty for speeding in the pit lane, which was added to his final time, so he dropped P6. Esteban Ocon, Sebastian Vettel, Pierre Gasly, Alex Albon round out the top ten. Uh, what a weekend, guys! It was for Max Verstappen. Plenty to talk about throughout the race. Obviously, we'll get to Ferrari as we always do. But Lawrence, you were on the ground. Just what impressed you most about Max's drives over the weekend?
2: I think how effortless it looked. It was just mm-hmm. one of those days where you just couldn't see anyone else winning, and we do get that in Formula One. We've had periods of of domination, but to win from 14th from the grid and be up in first place like actual net first place you know without the pit Mm -hmm. stops by the 18th lap and to not really face any challenges along the way including from uh, his teammate Sergio Perez in exactly the same car who just looked nowhere relative to Max that was something very very special and I think it was a combination of a number of things clearly the car suited the track uh, very much so and clearly they had the setup absolutely nailed it seems like Max. And um, at the start of the year, wasn't 100% happy with the Red Bull and the way it was handling. And actually, it seemed to suit Checo a little bit more. But in recent races, he's just found this setup that makes it work. And it is just a joy to watch, uh, you know, in terms of him up the wheel. But in terms of the races, you know, it's a danger it can make it pretty dull because uh, it's really hard to know how anyone's going to stop Max on that form.
0: It's important to mention, and we, we talked about it briefly at the start, that obviously he started at the back of the grid at P14. At what point of the race, what move, what overtake, Lawrence, were you like, here we go, here we go again?
2: I think it was pretty much lap one. I think I looked down <laughs> at the standings, I mean, I had exactly what he was doing, but he was up to eight. And you're like, wow, you know. And also, he knew he had so much pace, he didn't have to take risks. So at no point did you see him really put it on the line because he just didn't need to and then a series of overtakes where he just breezed past people on the on the camel straight with the use of drs and when you see that at spa because it's a track where you really can overtake and where if you get the advantage through O rouge and you slipstream someone onto that straight you can just breeze past them and you saw that happen a number of times and you know when we looked at the grid we were like well who's he going to struggle against well checo if he gets in the way eventually red bull will probably engineer away for him to get past, so probably not check it so much, but Carlos Sainz was the one we felt that maybe it he'd, he'd struggle against. But Sainz's tire degradation was off the scale compared to Max, which meant that you know he just wasn't able to to fight properly. Max had tires about three or four laps younger, but just breeze past him. And so it's uh it's, it's, it was a remarkable performance. And this is the thing, like we 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 should stress how Brilliant that performance was, and how great Max was. Because you know you don't see drivers do that all the time. Even drivers, because of Max, you know, it doesn't always—it's not always made to look that effortless. So that was very special what we witnessed.
0: It couldn't have gone better, I don't think, for Red Bull. Obviously, with Checo finishing in second, right behind Max—not right behind Max, like seventeen point eight seconds behind Max, I think, to be exact. But still, a great day for Red Bull, and they're now one hundred and eighteen points clear in the Constructors' Championship was it too easy for red bull nate do you think
1: yeah i think so i mean and, and again not to take anything away from them because i think lawrence has absolutely nailed it you know that was special from what we, what we saw from max and i think it's crazy to look at that race if you looked at the, that race in isolation and you told someone that it was in a season where we came into it thinking this is going to be a really close two horse race and mercedes are right there you know all year we've been like mercedes are right there they're gonna they're gonna be they're gonna be in that fight soon it's seeming less and less like that. I mean, that race, as great as it was to watch Max doing that, it was kind of, it did feel like a bit of a punch in the gut for anybody who wants that to be the case. Even, even if we're seeing just Mercedes fight for the odd win at the end of the year, or Ferrari really taking the fight back to, to Red Bull, it really just doesn't feel like that's going to be the case in these last eight races. So um, it was too easy. It really was. And it's kind of, it's worrying as well, because you sometimes see this in Formula One at the start of a new rule, rule cycle, you'll get one team that is clearly ahead of the rest and I think Red Bull the way they're doing things right now and as Lawrence alluded to earlier that that's great synergy they have in their decision making at the moment. I really think they're going to be really difficult to knock off that that kind of pedestal at the moment that they're on, mm-hmm. you know that height that they're on. Um hopefully Ferrari and Mercedes can do that. Um but yeah, it's it's ominous not just for this season but going to next year as well because yeah, that was I mean I think that was probably as easy a race win as I've seen even if you if you think about Mercedes. Mercedes has some pretty comfortable wins. But they would always, they would always have, you know, the 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 fight for second. It was like, all right, we've got to protect second now. There wasn't even any of that. They they were just no. all, like, oh, it's one-two. From that lap eight, you were like, okay, this is a Red Bull one-two. As soon as the safety car came out, it was like, okay, there's probably going to be Max win or, or Sergio win. And I've never, I've not seen enough one race like that for a long time. Really strange, but but full credit to everyone involved from Red Bull because I think yeah. they were just playing a different game. Everyone yeah. said Max is on a different planet, but. He's, he's driving unbelievably, but I think Red Bull as well all year have kind of been, since I had those reliability issues, have been kind of flawless for a, a long time. So, yeah, really great package all, all around.
0: You mentioned synergy and decision-making, which means we are now <laughs> going to transition to discuss Ferrari at this point. They celebrated Carlos signs on the podium. Should we feel good? Should Ferrari feel good, Lawrence, about Carlos's podium, or was it a victory for Leclerc? And that was all that they were focused on, and they're disappointed with the results, walking away from Spa.
2: Well, Carlos's podium was the best they could have done, given how quick the Red Bull was. So they maximised performance on that car, of course. On Charles, not so much, because uh, yeah, he it never really clicked for him. And you know, and I know we had this problem at the end with the pit stop or anything, but even before that, it never really clicked in, in, in the way you thought it would. And uh, a tear-off. I mean, this just kind of sums up the day, doesn't it? A tear-off from Max's visor. So if anyone is not aware, um, in order to keep their visor clean, so the drivers can still see, they have these tear-offs across the visor, a bit of thin plastic film that they can rip off, and they just throw it out of the cockpit because, you know, there's nowhere for them to put it. They just throw it out. Now, usually they just flutter off and into the, you know, gravel or whatever, or to the side of the track. This one went into Charles the Clerk's Front braked up following. <laughs> like the most then,
0: Ferrari thing ever, by it, the way. I mean, you, it, it, up, you
2: couldn't sum up a season more perfectly than that moment, could you? Yeah, and overheated the brake uh, to the point that Ferrari had to pit so they could get it out of there. They could see the temperatures rising. Uh, they could see a bit of smoke from it. So they had to pit. That was an unscheduled pit stop. Kind of messed up any plans they had with uh, the strategy from the very start and certainly kind of put them on the back foot and further back down the field. So it just never really clicked. And then we got to the final couple of laps and they fit it in to get the fastest lap and of course uh i mean this is again like how these things just seem to uh, snowball for ferrari at the moment because uh the brake had overheated it had um damaged one of the sensors which they use to monitor the speed in the pit lane. And therefore, he was caught speeding in the pit lane, which led to a five-second penalty, which dropped him back uh, behind Fernando Alonso at the end of the race. So he lost the position because of the pit stop. And he didn't even get the fastest lap. In fact, he did, it's not that he didn't get the fastest lap. He was, was 0.6 seconds off Max Verstappen for that fastest slap. And Max had done it. 12 laps earlier in the race which at Spa when there's only 44 laps is about a quarter of a race earlier which means he had about 30 kilos more fuel in the car as well which is a big big amount of extra weight to be carrying around in a Formula One car so all of these things it just makes you realize wow you know that is how far off Ferrari were at this track and you know at the end of the day Matteo Bonotto who I think a number of times we've We've criticised on this. He said, well, look, we had to take some risks. You know, it was going badly enough anyway. You know, we had to be brave. We had to do something. So we went for that extra point. And I don't really hold that against them considering the position they were in because the problem wasn't that pit stop. The problem was the complete lack of performance prior to that. So, um, of course, you have to blame Ferrari for that as well. But, um, you know, I think this is a point they're at now where really they've just got to kind of try and get the odd win here, try and get the odd bonus point there just to try and build up, you know, a bit of momentum going into next year because this year, you know, forget about it.
1: I think it, the, there was one kind of glimmer of hope from Ferrari fans is that I think uh, Mattia Bonotto afterwards, like he, like Lawrence said, we have to be brave about things. I think it shows that Ferrari is still willing. They haven't been completely shut down by all this criticism, by all of this kind of negativity. Mm-hmm. They're still actually happy to go for things. I know it didn't. It, it worked out in a completely Ferrari 20, 2022 kind of way. It just everything that could have gone wrong did go wrong. But I was thinking, and I was pretty critical at the time, but I was actually thinking about it today. And I thought, well, that's better than trying, especially in that situation where they they knew they weren't going to win the race. That was better than them trying and being like, let's not even go for fastest lap. Let's just, let's just finish the race. I think it showed there's still something there and they're still thinking outside the box. Clearly a lot of issues in terms of how they come to those decisions, like the way they talked to the clerk and they were like, they kept saying question at the end. It sounded like a destiny's child song. Um, they just kept saying question. at the end, I was like, what are you doing? Like, so I don't know what's going on there but I think if you want to if if we can put, finally put a positive spin on Ferrari I would say that that at least they're still trying these things because they could have got to a position where they're just like let's just finish this race and go home um maybe I'm really clutching at straws but you know I'm trying to get some positivity to I appreciate to see positivity. the positivity yeah, I appreciate the positivity. Try. It's been best, a while but...
0: since we've been positive about this team uh, on on this pod. So I'm going to step outside of the box. So please follow me just for a moment. <laughs> Could we see Charles Leclerc leave Ferrari and head to Mercedes if and when, and I don't want to see this happen anytime soon, but if and when Lewis Hamilton retires?
1: Love the idea. Do um you? I do. I mean, Leclerc and Russell would be great. And I mean, I'm going to be controversial, and people listening might might hate this, but I'm not sure if you put Leclerc in the same car as Russell, he'd beat Russell over the course of a season. I'm not sh- I'm not sure. There's so many thing- little things that happen. I'm not quite sure if Leclerc is as good as we all want him to be. I think he's great, but is he is he at that level? But in terms of Mercedes, we wondered this a few years ago when he signed first to 2024, then to 26, like tied down to- for a long, long time to Ferrari, and getting out of those deals in Formula One is difficult. Um, I thought the same when Lando. Committed to such a long time with McLaren, you put so much faith in a team that at the moment isn't in the right place. Um, so I don't know. I'd love, to, I'd love to think Leclerc has the ability to get out of a deal like that, but um, I'm not sure. You know, when they, w- with every year that's in a deal, I always think it kind of you add 25 percent chance of them not being able to get out of it. And that's just way because of how many clauses are inside and how much money it would take to get them out of it. So maybe Lawrence is more optimistic for me, but I feel like he's committed to being Ferrari's guy for at least the foreseeable future. And I can't really see him. He doesn't seem to, at the moment, have that appetite. Maybe he will by next year or the year after. But, yeah, I can't see it. I'd love to think he could do it, but I just don't know.
2: Well, it depends uh, how long Lewis stays, doesn't it? Because if Lewis stays until around 26, then Mm -hmm. potentially... Yeah, Leclerc can make that swap. And look, if he's a free agent, he's a free agent. You know, he will look at his options. And by then, we might have a situation where Mercedes are more competitive. I think right now he's actually at the right place. You know, despite all the problems Ferrari's had, of course, maybe Red Bull would be a slightly better place. But outside of Red Bull, he's at the right place because Ferrari have the next most competitive car, and you know they're in a position where they should be able to build on that in the future years. And some of the issues, the rely, uh, yeah, you know, the reliability to some extent, but also the strategy issues those are stuff you you can solve you can learn you can progress with a lot easier than just making the car faster so he's not in a bad place i think the other thing with with charles is that we think of him as a ferrari driver because he went through that ferrari junior academy but you have to be careful with that because remember lewis hamilton once upon a time was Mm -hmm. a mclaren driver no one could ever see him leaving mclaren Mm -hmm. and then when he decided to do that and this was before mercedes had had the recent success that they had um, everyone thought he was mad they thought you know going from McLaren in 2012, where the team had won races to Mercedes, the team that had won one, I think that year, you know, it was just uh, bonkers, but it built something. So I think if Charles can look at the horizon when his contract is coming towards the end and pick a team that has all the ingredients for success going forward, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't leave because all these drivers are there to win more championships. And if he's been there that long and he hasn't done it with Ferrari, then he'll be looking elsewhere, I think.
0: Well, let's stay here and continue to discuss Lewis Hamilton and the weekend that was uh incredibly frustrating, I think for him at Mercedes. They looked way off the pace in practice and qualifying. It was reported that Lewis had stayed until midnight, I think the night before the race, working with the team trying to figure out how they could win and, you know, in a matter of seconds, it was all over within a few corners when he had his collision with Alonso that put the Mercedes out of the race. You know, what did you guys make of not only the decision to kind of turn in, he said he was in his blind spot, but also his reaction post-race as well.
1: Yeah, it's rare to see Hamilton make those kind of mistakes. I think I was surprised they didn't, you know, investigate it further. I, I like the reasoning. It, you, we saw the stewards go a bit too far into the weeds of investigating things like that, especially on the first lap. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it really it really was him just kind of turning in. Alonso had no space. Um, we can get onto the, the kind of... <laughs> Hamilton, Alonso, two or three or four, whichever chapter that rival right, this is now. But um, I don't know really where that comes from with Lewis, because this year, you know, he's kind of been, you know, Russell's been so, so consistent, so solid. And we know how good Lewis is. You know, a few years ago, the superlatives that we were using to describe Max a minute ago, we were talking, we were using them to describe Lewis. So I don't know whether that just is, is just a small mistake, whether it comes out of, you know, this eagerness. That I think he probably could have, you know, he he may have challenged science for for third place instead of Russell. I don't know, but, um, yeah, it was it was weird. It was odd. And um yeah, I just think very uncharacteristic of him to to make that kind of mistake. And yeah, that that really like Hollywood style shot of him walking slowly down that path, oh, which sad. you know, well, again kind of sums his year up. I saw loads of memes about that and you know, album covers and all sorts of things. But I think that was really quite a good snapshot. If you think it shows you how far he's kind of come since Abu Dhabi last year, you know, this was a guy who was eight or nine corners away from winning an eighth world championship, had it taken away from him in those circumstances, and now is kind of hasn't won a race this year said said on the friday i think he said i'm not gonna i'm not gonna be sad to see the back of this car uh at all which you can totally understand so um yeah it's interesting to see where his head's at right now i don't think his motivation continues gone but we've not seen lewis in this kind of position for a long long time so it's pretty fascinating to see how he you know he has still i rise on his helmet is kind of his his motto so it'll be interesting to see in zandvoort you know max just happens home race as well kind of how he rises to that occasion i'm pretty i think you know, he's good enough to come back strongly. But, yeah, it was pretty rare territory for him to be in.
0: You know, sometimes you you hear broadcasters say, well, he tried to win it in one shot or one swing or one throw in, in just one moment. And it was sad because he had the whole race in front of him. And it felt like he was so he was willing to kind of die on that hill uh, by cutting off Alonzo. And then ultimately it backfired on him. Now, what unfolded right then on the radio comms uh, with Fernando Alonso was quite interesting. And obviously that word then got back to Lewis when he got back to the garage, Lawrence. And then he had uh, some comments with the media members after the fact. What did you make of just that kind of back and forth between the two post-race?
2: Well, I think Lewis was actually quite respectful up until the point he found out that fernando called him an idiot i mean it's rare that we get a Mm. situation where a driver comes out and says oh that was completely my fault it's even rarer that we get a situation where the stewards have decided on that incident no further action than he did it's usually the other way around the stewards are given a penalty and the drivers are defending themselves so i think lewis is very mature about that, and that just says everything about what it means to be a seven-time world champion like him you know he's done it all he's won it all and look even guys like him can make mistakes from time to time. So he put his hands up and and, and owned that. I think with Fernando, he at the moment you can kind of understand uh, where it's coming from. But I, I read into that, you know, uh, he can only lead and win from first place. Also a bit of frustration for Fernando in general because he's seen a number of drivers who he considers himself to be on the same level as, and I actually consider himself to be him to be on the same level as. So we're talking Lewis, we're talking Seb. Uh, drivers with more championships than him. So Sebastian Vettel on four, Lewis Hamilton on seven, Fernando Alonso on two. And I think it's always been a sticking point for Fernando that he doesn't have more championships. So when he's up against these guys, and he's got another chance to prove himself. He's on that level. And then something like that happens. I think a little bit of extra frustration comes out. So um it's... He's a he's a fascinating character, and I, I wasn't really surprised by any of what was said because no. he's always just bubbling under the surface with Fernando. And yeah, there it was. It, it you know it came out again. So um, I, will, will they talk again? I think you know probably by the time they get to Zambort, they'll probably just chat. And um, given that neither of them are in a championship position, you know I, I think they'll be able to put it behind them and uh, and carry on as they were. I don't think it's going to be the start of another great rivalry because let's face it, at the moment. <laughs> Neither are even going for a victory. And that's what really sparks the big rivalries in F1. He's great at getting
1: under people's skin, Fernando, I think. And um, you know, he's done that. I mean, he does that all the time. He even had a dig at Ferrari at the end of his interview to Sky. Um, but what was interesting, I, I, I agree, I think Lewis handled it pretty well on you know for the most part. Um, but it was interesting when when Fernando was told, like, oh, you know, Lewis uh, you know accepted responsibility, Fernando said, Oh, that's nice of him. That's good to do because obviously he's done it there before with Rosberg in 2016. And, you know, we've had a few and so, so he couldn't help himself. He just cut it off to told. say that that yeah, was nice like, of him dude, to
0: just, do. So done.
1: I i was saying to Lawrence, I'm a huge wrestling fan. And uh, I think Alonso is like, you know, a heel that used to get in the, in the, in the old days, like a bad guy that you know is really, really good, but you, but is just always saying, you know, that thing to just kind of, to just kind of poke, just to sort of poke the bear all the time. And um, I think it, I think it can be healthy. You know, it's good to have those quotes sometimes, but, it is interesting. There's that part of the character. I completely agree that he's, um, that he, he, because he used to talk about Vettel in the same way. So I absolutely think there's some bitterness there deep down. Um, and also we always say that on the radio, heat of the moment, you can't judge a driver by what they say. But somehow with Fernando, I don't think that's true. Somehow I think the guy knows exactly what he's saying at all times. He, you know, he, he wants. I mean, one of the things that destroyed his relationship with Honda was he called their engine a GP2 engine, one driving at the Japanese Grand Prix a few years ago. It was a huge insult, massive, massive insult to, to Honda. So I've always felt with him that he's one of the guys that, I, I don't know whether he rehearses them beforehand, he also <laughs> did like a, we, he did the finger wag at Yuki Tsunoda in Austria, but there's there's footage of him doing similar to Lewis when Lewis had parked up on the run-up uh on the second lap, which amusingly meant Alonso then missed an an instruction from his his engineer to change his engine mode. So he then had to be told to do it again. So he was too busy wagging his finger at Hamilton that he missed it. So I've, I've said on the pod before, I really, I I kind of, this part of the Alonso character I find really fascinating. Um, And yeah, he just, um, but I think that's the kind of guy he is, you know, he's always going to make sure he kind of has the last say, you know, he always tries to make sure. He comes out of something on top. He has to
0: have the last word. I don't know what his relationship status is, his marital status. I don't know if he's married, he's got kids or whatever. But like, I would imagine that would be a frustrating part of being in a relationship with him because he seems to always (laughs) need to have that last say. And to your point, Lawrence, through watching Drive to Survive, through being around some of the drivers down in Miami, they never take ownership or responsibility for any incident on track. That's just like, you just know they're going to defend themselves. So I did think that that was pretty telling that Lewis, after seeing the footage was like, yeah, I'm going to raise my hand. That one was on me. So I thought that that was, um, A good way for him to close the book on what was a very disappointing weekend in Spa. But his teammate finished in the top five, uh, continues to get points for Mercedes. Uh, You know, George, I think, has certainly been a bright spot this season uh, for the team. And I think it's worth mentioning, you know, Seb and Ocon both getting some really vital points and hanging around uh, to finish in the top 10. You know, they both had great performances as well.
2: Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details.
1: Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, ArmorAll, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on ArmorAll products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it.
0: Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. After the performances in spa, who are you putting in the doghouse and why?
1: Uh, I can go first if you want. I know other drivers might go in here. I'm going to put McLaren as a whole Mm. in the doghouse. I'm going to put Danny Rick in there. I'm going to put Zach Brown in there, I'm going to put Landon Norris in there, I'm going to put the car in there as well Um, I really think it was a pretty awful week if you're a McLaren fan, you know just how that looked optics wise, getting rid of Danny Rick in the way they did interesting to see the fan reaction to that but then at the same time, you know, Sunday came around and Ricardo actually was starting in a pretty good position in seventh, completely faded during the race, I think mentally I don't think he was in the right place after everything that happened but also you know, Alpine did a really great job and they're in that fight for fourth but it's really slipping away from McLaren because they, they scored zero points in that race. And very strange, you know, that car just doesn't seem to be, you know, performing at some places we go to. Which is weird because sometimes Lando gets a lot out of it, but I thought they had an awful weekend um, just in general. So um, maybe people listening might think, well, that, you know, Ricardo's performance maybe justifies the decision. You might be right. But there seems to be deeper problems than just Ricardo not in form. It just seems like they're not in the right place at the moment.
2: Maybe that will change over the next year in a bit. But um, yeah, they'd, they'd be in there for me. Lawrence, how about you? Uh, I'm going to say Sergio Perez because he was the only guy in the same car as race winner Max Verstappen and he was nowhere near him. And uh, if I could take a bit from Nate's book, you could actually extend that to the whole field and say <laughs> that no one other than Max Verstappen and Red Bull did the job they should have done around there because he was so far ahead of everyone. It was like he was driving in a different formula. But uh, specifically, if I'm putting one person doghouse, uh, it's Perez. And it's a shame because, you know, parts of this season, when it wasn't that long ago. Well, it was around May, when we were talking about Perez potentially being a championship challenger. He won in Monaco, and we thought, ah, maybe this can be the kickstart he needs. But if anything, it's gone completely the other way, and he's got a contract in his pocket now to stay at Red Bull. But, um, you know, this is one of the issues, is that if we've got Max Verstappen performing on this level and Red Bull performing on this level, well, that's, you know, it's not their fault that they're dominating F1, but you need competition. And if you don't even have a teammate who's close, I mean, I know Valtteri Bottas never really put a sustained challenge there but he'd at least get close from time to time and at the moment on Perez's current form you've really got to wonder uh how he's gonna ever get back to to, to fighting Max again but um yeah so I on to on, on the form of uh Sunday it's got to be Perez for me
0: can we put Lewis Hamilton in the doghouse or can we just say it was disappointing
2: I think he can go in the
1: doghouse. I think Katie I think it's time you put him in there oh, yeah I know, I-, I know you don't want to but
0: so it's a
2: very rare opportunity as well with we, very fair. few times you can legitimately put those in in doghouse so
0: that's fair and i will tell you full disclosure obviously i i'm a lewis hamilton fan anytime he's involved in an incident or a collision i'm always like oh my of course it was oh let me see the replay it wasn't his fault i saw the replay on <laughs> sunday and i was like <laughs> Oh, yeah, that, yeah, Alonzo had nowhere to go. There is only one person really in this collision that you can blame. And so that was yeah. one of the first times where I was like, yeah, that's a mistake by Hamilton, certainly.
1: First time I saw it, it was, I, I was like, that looked like Hamilton's fault. And that usually, usually with collisions, yeah, you don't know. But yeah, it looked as slam dunk as I've ever looked for Lewis.
0: Yeah, yeah, so hopefully he escapes the doghouse uh, this weekend for the Dutch Grand Prix. A lot of people in it, Lawrence yeah. put the whole grid in. <laughs> we're gonna need a big, <laughs> We're gonna need I to a build McLaren. a bigger doghouse. I, I put
1: the entire entity of McLaren in, and then Katie put a seven-time world champion in, so it's it's busy.
0: <laughs> a lot of egos in that doghouse. Uh, let's see if they rebound this weekend. Let's look ahead at it, okay. A home race for Max Verstappen, which if my calculations are correct, if the Red Bull can finish the race, Max would win by about 18 seconds or more. So what can we expect from Zandvoort, Nate?
1: Well, Zandvoort's kind of like a, a music festival. Like Last year it came on the calendar. So you're into it? I love it. It's a great place. And, you know, it obviously came back for, for Max. It, 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 you know, as soon as Max kind of emerged, we've talked about Zandvoort again. Um, the place last year was just unbelievable. You know, the, 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 there's music playing all the time. When Max was when Max was on track, it was loud. When Max crossed the line, it was even louder. Um, when when there's, there's a slight delay in the media centers, maybe one or two seconds to what we're watching. So we knew it was kind of a spoiler alert time. Like Max went over the line. Everyone went crazy. We were like, well, he's clearly on pole. Yeah, he is on pole by quite a long way. And then he just dominated in the race. That was another impressive, I think Max's most impressive performance last year. Was Zandvoort? He was just so good. He was like he was in Spa last weekend, just all weekend. Like everyone was talking about the pressure, and he didn't. He didn't feel it. And the Dutch there just adore him. You know, he's he's the reason they're there. Um, So it's you know all all that orange you see in Austria and Spa. Double it, quadruple it, whatever you want to do. It's just everywhere. And if you if you're not wearing orange, I think you stand out in Zandvoort. So um, there there are some brave Ferrari and Mercedes fans that go, but yeah, majority of people uh for staff and fans it's a great place really i I always say to people when they ask me where do you want to where should we go for a race i say you've got to go to Zandvoort. you know I, i'm not sure if the racing is is the most entertaining you'll see on the season but as an event
2: unbelievable
0: is the hype true lawrence
2: oh yeah it really is it's a wonderful place to go and just we don't really have anything like it and it was interesting because there was this real party atmosphere at Zandvoort last year and everyone looked and they're like Oh we can do that every race we'll just bring yeah. a DJ to every race and we'll have loud music pumping out and all this kind of stuff but when you do it at places like Monza or other other tracks where the, the it's just a different atmosphere you know it's not such a party atmosphere the people aren't as willing just to kind of throw themselves into it so yeah it's really special and it's it's a very different track to Spa I I'm not going to make the mistake of betting against Max Verstappen <laughs> again but it is a very different uh, track to Spa so I think we might again see a slightly different order it's not going to quite Uh, play to the advantages of the Red Bull I don't think as much as as Spa did but um, yeah Max is going to be epic round there and Red Bull have already said look we need to make sure we look after Max this weekend we're not going to give him any more media or uh promotional things and he has to do normally he's going to have a normal race weekend we're going to try and keep him in a bubble as much as they can but they've also accepted that he's going to get a huge amount of support and most of it i think is going to be very very positive for him Uh, and that will probably also be part of the difference uh, when it comes to that qualifying lap and the start and if he has to pull an overtaking. move
0: now is it true that it's like attending a football game over in europe where the fans actually know songs and they rehearse and they're on point is that actual facts
1: very true yeah the grid last year was 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 bouncing um i have a favorite song from Zandvoort that i was basically singing for about a week last year yeah it wasn't actually fans were singing it but um other journalists heard it on the walk in we then played it on youtube and we were like this song's amazing so the premise is actually, I think it's actually a German song, but the Dutch have kind of adopted it as their own. And in 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 German, I guess, or in Dutch, I, I don't know. But the, the the lyrics, if you translate to English, and and hear me out here because people are going to hear the first line and think, "What on earth is this song?" But the the first line is, "What is the name of Nicki Lauda's mother?" And then the response is, "Mama Lauda, Mama Lauda," and "Mama Lauda" in German means "make it louder." So it's a play on words, um, and that was just booming around like. Uh, the, the music festival I went to a few weeks ago in Budapest had nothing on the on the beat you just hear constantly at Zandvoort. It's everywhere, um, and you can't get away from it. So well, come away.
0: Don't keep our listeners wanting more. Go on. Break out a song. It? Give us a cool. little rendition, and please.
1: Lawrence, Lawrence heard it live last year, the real thing. So he can tell, yeah, Lawrence can he tell can us say, if this is
0: accurate or not.
1: And this is going to be in German as well. So okay. any German listeners, if I butcher your language, I do apologize. <laughs> but the song goes... V heißt von Nicky louder, Mama louder, Mama louder, and then it just keeps going on and on and on, yeah, and, uh, and it, gets okay. loud, it does get louder as it goes on. Um, and yeah, it's just a brilliant song, and I will be singing it in Lawrence's ear for most of the weekend. <laughs> Lawrence, annoying. you
0: didn't want to, you didn't
2: want to join in? <laughs> no, you didn't I, I to I become do, a duet. I don't know the words. I, I don't know my German is as good, isn't it? I was really impressed by that. That, that was fantastic. I, I, I mean. It, it usually it has a bit more <laughs> bass, but I'm not going to hold that against it because there's this like boom, 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 boom yeah. bass going through. I don't think but, um... Um, it's
1: it's fairly late here. I don't think the neighbours in my hotel will, would be too <laughs> grateful if I started Fair. banging on the walls. Um, but yeah, it's usually a lot better than that. People should go listen to it. It's a great song and it's, it's up there with that Supermax song for like most popular played at Zandvoort. You hear it all the time. Um, yeah, but just it's absolutely bonkers, Zandvoort. So um, yeah. I've yeah, been listening which,
0: I'm yeah. listening I on mean, the broadcast if for no it. one
1: sings it in the sand, I might have to grab a microphone and just G the crowd up a bit because it's a great song. Please
0: do. Please do. Okay. As we end all episodes of Unlapped, it's time for your predictions. Uh, Lawrence, I wish you uh, better luck this time around. How about that? Because I'm not
2: sure luck's got anything to do with it. <laughs> oh, Wasn't
0: <it> great. <laughs> all right. So tell me your top three. Who's going to finish on the podium? And then who would maybe have the most surprising performance at Zandvoort? Okay, Lawrence, we'll start with you.
2: Well, okay, so not making the same mistake twice.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Max Verstappen victory. And actually, you may be able to copy and paste that for the remaining races, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Max Verstappen okay. victory. Uh, and I know I made this mistake last week, but I'm going with it again. I'm going to say Lewis Hamilton in second place. Really? Because I feel like, yeah, there's there's some similarities uh, between uh, Zandvoort and Budapest. And obviously, Mercedes so was very quick there. Uh, and then let's throw Carlos Sainz on the podium as well to have a three. Um, I'd say Lewis Hamilton is surprising enough, uh being that far up after what happened in Spa. That's but fair, if I was I'll gonna... allow it. Are you allow
0: that? Okay, I'll, I'll go with that. That's
2: my most surprising. I'll go with that's my most surprising.
0: Uh where's Charles? Just just asking a follow-up.
2: Uh I, let's talk to the Ferrari strategist about that. Um <laughs> I would say he's on, he's on plan G by that
0: point, I think. Yeah, plan, plan, <laughs>
2: plan Z. Plan G Question. in the gentleman's eighth place. <laughs>
0: all right fair enough max lewis carlos all right nate
1: okay so the two drivers i think finishing behind max this weekend are gonna be um i was thinking a ferrari and mercedes split but i'm gonna put leclerc and russell up there i think russell's been great all year um and yeah i just i think you know for for Charles it's important he gets back on that podium um for his maybe just for his mental <laughs> his confidence and his mental well-being you know um, but yeah, it's just so difficult to look past Max, like, especially when you remember what he did here last year. Uh, and then Surprise, Surprise is a really good one. Um, I think I'd love to see Albon Surprise again. I thought we haven't mentioned him on the pod and I think he deserves a shout out. Absolutely brilliant at the weekend. Um, you know, really, and and came. often drivers seem to lose a bit of form after signing a contract. He signed a contract at the start of the summer break and then turned in that performance. So um, I'll say him again. I'll say, you know, Albon... Oh, well, maybe, maybe Q3 might be a, bit, a stretch at, at Zandvoort, but he seems to be in a good place right now. So maybe he can push for points again.
0: I'm going to join in here and predict something, and I, I'm only predicting it for pure drama and interest. Max certainly, and then I'm going to put Lewis Hamilton just slightly ahead of Fernando Alonso. I oh, would nice. love to see oh, that nice. battle there I would at like the to end. Yeah, so I'm just going to throw that in. I'm writing it in right now. We will obviously check back. After Zanbort, you guys are both there already. You've arrived. Is that yeah, the case? I don't need yeah. to wish you well in your travels because you arrived safely. you ready to roll.
1: Yeah, ready, ready. And, um, yeah, we've already arrived safely, so it's all good. Um,
0: get some rest. I know you'll need it because you're back on the grind. Uh, it's going to be a fun and, um, I don't want to say surprising into the second half of the season, because I think we already know what we're in store for. But as always, I appreciate the time, the analysis. You two are so enjoyable to chat with. This is another episode of Unlapped. Uh, We've been itching for F1 to return, and you know what? Spawn did not disappoint, so uh, stick with us every week. We've got a new episode of Unlapped. You can find us on YouTube. Subscribe to ESPN F1 for more F1 content, and remember to – Give us a like and a rating wherever you get your podcast. Five-star review is much appreciated until next week. I'm Katie George. He's Nate Saunders and that's Lawrence Edmondson. Cheers.